0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. This morning, I'm going to continue the series by speaking on the first of four songs, if you will. Um, not, Not technically songs, but they are referred to often as songs as As people look back at God's word and see what we have here, which are recorded in the opening chapters of Luke, Uh, these expressions of praise and worship show us how several individuals and groups responded to the good news of the birth of the Savior. And two of these songs actually take place prior to the birth of the Savior and, and the other two come after Uh, So I'd encourage you, I don't have the scriptures up on uh, the screen for most of this, I do have a few references there, but I encourage you, open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1, and and we're going to be diving into this text. Now, depending on your familiarity with the section, you might be wondering, uh, why did we just do a reading from 1 Samuel, uh, which recounts an event that took place about a thousand years prior to the birth of Jesus? Our focus is not going to be on this Old Testament passage, but uh, most commentators that I looked at, and I think it's probably near unanimous among scholars, that that Mary's song that we're going to look at this morning was heavily influenced, if not even sort of an interpretation and based on Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. Now, their circumstances were quite different, right? For example, Hannah was already married. Uh, And we might even say that she was desperate and praying for a child, right? And that's quite different from Mary, who was a virgin. We know she's betrothed or engaged to be married, but not looking for a child, certainly not this soon. And nevertheless, their prayers or songs of praise are similar in both length. They are both about 10 verses long and, and content. And so I encourage you, after we've gone through this text, maybe this afternoon or sometime this week, go back and, and just compare, and you'll see how clearly this passage from the Old Testament influenced Mary and the song of praise that she's going to sing. As one New Testament scholar notes, Mary's song is built on Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10, extolling the mercy of God and his revolutionary reversal of the prevailing social situation, both in Hannah's day and Mary's, and this is really the key point. This becomes a major theme in Luke: God's reversal of the fortunes of the lowly in Jesus. And you could think of uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew five. But certainly, we see that Jesus came and had a heart for the lowly. Um, before we take a look at Mary's song, however, let's let's take a few minutes to set the stage and just consider the context again, taking into account what you heard last week as well as what we're going to see this morning. In the passage that you studied last week, the angel Gabriel surprised Mary with the announcement that she had been chosen, right? Throughout time, she'd been chosen among all people living on the earth at that time to be the one who would bear the Messiah. In God's providence, the miraculous conception of Jesus wasn't the only miracle that was announced, though. Mary was also told that her relative Elizabeth who was described, if you look in God's word back in verse 7, was described as being barren and advanced in age. And we find in verse 36, she had also conceived a son in her old age. Now, the connection is not made explicit. But I think, especially as you get into the story, you'll find that Luke is almost certainly relating Zechariah and Elizabeth's story to that of Israel's patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah. So for example, in Genesis 18, verses 10 and 11, the Lord visits Abraham and Sarah at that point and says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind him. now here's Moses's interjection with a little bit of background material. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And here's a key point the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. There's a sense in which God had to perform a miracle by resurrecting Sarah's womb. Basically, this language means she was, she was post-menopause. Right? There was no chance. And God had to do a miracle because here she is at the age of 89. And it's why when you go back in those stories, you see both Abraham and Sarah laughing, from which Isaac ends up deriving his name. Now in God's grace and kindness, God had blessed Elizabeth with a healthy pregnancy in her old age just six months before announcing that he was about to perform an even greater miracle in the form of a virgin giving birth. Mary's response to the angel in Luke chapter 1 verse 38 stands as one of the greatest acts of humility and faith and even submission and obedience in all of human history. Now, the immediate context for our passage is found in Luke 1, verses 39 to 45. And we're going to just briefly look at that before we jump into our text. So if you look with me, begin reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 and 40. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, we're not told why Mary made this trip. It could be as simple as the fact that she had a very close relationship with her relative. That's certainly possible. But scholars note if you look at the geography, this trip that she took in haste required at least two to three days. And here we have a young virgin, and she could have, maybe she could move faster, but at least two to three days in order to go and visit her cousin. But notice Luke says she went with haste. Now, there's nothing in the text that suggests to us that, that Mary doubted what the angel had told her. And that's in contrast to Zechariah, who did, in fact, have some question. How, how can this be that we're going to have a child? But I imagine that as the angel told her, right, your, your, your relative Elizabeth is, has conceived a child in her old age, that she was intrigued and wanted to then follow up and see, like, has this, has this really come to pass and by doing so, right, by seeing that what the angel had told her was true about her cousin, what does that do for Mary? It gives her greater confidence in what the angel has told her. Continuing in Luke 1, 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. I don't know what the situation is like here in South Africa, but a war has been waging in the United States for probably about the better part of a half century now about when life begins and the implications that go along with that. Luke 141 is one of those verses that believers point to as evidence that life begins at conception. Notice right? Mary's greeting falls on Elizabeth's ears, but who responds first? It is the baby John within her. In Luke 1.15, the angel had informed Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from from his mother's womb. This explains the baby's reaction, how even in utero he is able to respond. But it also, interestingly enough, and scholars will point this out, it marks the beginning before John even entered into this world of his powerful prophetic ministry. That prophetic ministry began before he enters in the world right through his mother. Luke continues then in verses 41 to 45. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In these verses, we find the same spirit that was already stirring baby John to joyful expression, now stirring Elizabeth to a kind of edifying or encouraging affirmation. Now Luke doesn't reveal how Elizabeth actually found out, right? And I'll come back to that in just a moment. He doesn't know, uh, doesn't explain how Elizabeth would have been aware of this miraculous pregnancy. But several references have been made to the Holy Spirit already in this passage. And so it's likely then to be reasoned that this this understanding that Mary is, is carrying is something that was divinely revealed. By calling Mary blessed, in verses 42 and 45, Elizabeth pointed her relative to the one who was responsible for the blessing. So yes, she's offering this blessing and this sort of praise and encouragement to her relative, but in doing so, she does it in a way that she's saying, God has done this for you and he's done this for us. I think most likely the Holy Spirit in that moment... Is is filling Elizabeth to say the words that she says in order to encourage Mary, in, in the in, in, in somewhat of a trial that lay before her, but encouraging her because of her trust and obedience in the Lord. Since Luke presents Mary's journey as occurring right in haste, it, it's almost as though she immediately got up and left. And we you know was that exactly how? Did she, was there a little passing of time? We don't know, but right she she went with haste to see uh, after she had been visited by this angel. And in that case, it is likely there is zero physical evidence, right? So again, Elizabeth doesn't see her, and is like, wow, something's changed with you. In fact, I would, I would venture to say probably even Mary wouldn't have experienced anything physical that would give proof or evidence to the fact that she had conceived. So that being the case, Elizabeth's spirit-inspired words of encouragement most likely lifted her up and pointed her to the truth of what God had promised. And that brings us to the passage we want to focus on with the rest of our time here this morning. As I mentioned earlier, Luke 1, verses 46 to 56, presents the first of what we might call four songs of Advent, right? Four songs that were a response of praise and thanksgiving to this announcement that the Savior, the Messiah, was being born. Mary's song is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. You might have seen that. If you're looking at your Bible, it may say that at the beginning of this passage. This is taken from the opening word translating this passage in the Latin Vulgate. The parallel to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which we, we just read a little while ago, is undeniable. And yet there's, there's other connections as well. There are many connections to a variety of psalms. One writer notes that Mary's hymn of praise follows the common form of psalms of thanksgiving, which begin by thanking God and then telling why one was thankful. Now, before we look at the song itself, I want to offer just one more comment, then we're going to dive into this text. Uh, and this comment, particularly just at the outset, I want to make this point that, when, that this song of praise that Mary's offering up is embedded in a narrative. In fact, that's going to be the case for all of the songs that you're going to see in this series. They're embedded in a narrative, in a story. And I mention that because what that means is application to our lives today becomes a little bit more challenging. It's not the same as, you know, when you're reading the second half of Ephesians and, and Paul is giving this list of instructions or you're in the book of Exodus and there's this list of laws. These are things that you're supposed to do. Well, that's not what's happening usually in story. The moral of the story is something that must be discerned from the circumstances. Mary responded to circumstances that were time-bound, right? She's responding to something that happened to her. And even more than that, she's responding to a circumstance that was unique in all of human history, right? This hasn't been repeated. There hasn't been another virgin that has conceived. Um, That being said, Psalms of Thanksgiving in general, and for our, the purpose of our study, Mary's Magnificat in particular are relevant to believers today because they teach us how to respond to the various circumstances that we face in life. So, for example, while Mary's circumstances were unique in all of history, consider this lesson from our passage that we already see. The ability to give thanks to the Lord does not depend on favorable circumstances. Now, this important truth is not taken directly from our passage, but kind of what we've already talked about looking at the context. If you go back and look in your Bible in Luke 1 verse 30, the angel Gabriel told Mary not to be afraid for you have found favor with God. So there's a little bit of a play on words as I, I put this up here, because there's certainly a sense, at least from, you know, the human level, the worldly level that Mary's facing some pretty unfavorable circumstances. She was betrothed and engaged to be married, but how was she going to explain a pregnancy? Who's going to believe her? So in that particular time, if she's discovered to be with child and Joseph doesn't take any responsibility, what happens to Mary most likely is she's stoned, according to the Old Testament law. Alternatively, if Joseph takes credit Right? As we see, he, you, you think about what's written in Matthew. He was going to privately divorce her because he didn't want to see her stoned. So we see compassion in him. But if Joseph went through with the marriage, then at a minimum, it's going to appear that they had consummated their relationship prior to marriage, which would have then brought shame on them and their families. Right? That's what they're up against. And nevertheless, Mary humbled herself to the Lord's plan for her life. And trusted him to, do, to work out all of the details. And we see him, work at least in one way, work that out in Matthew 1. By the angel giving a visit to Joseph. And explaining that this truly is of the Lord. While Mary does not necessarily give thanks for these challenging circumstances that she's facing. Um, I, I think we can see her ability to give thanks is not dependent on the circumstances that she was, she was facing. At least not from a worldly perspective. Now, I divided up our passage into three sections, but there's really only one main idea. There's one kind of main thrust that's going to propel us forward through this song, and that's found in verses 46 and 47, the idea that those who are blessed by the Lord give thanks to the Lord. So read along with me, verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. As one writer comments, this opening contains gratitude and praise for God who had allowed her to be the vessel bearing the promised Messiah and deliverer of the nation. Now, even though I've listed verses 46 and 47 as kind of connecting with this point directly, it's going to continue throughout. Really, as we move forward in the passage, it explains why she's giving thanks. Following Elizabeth's spirit-inspired encouragement, Mary erupts, in a sense, in blessing, which is directed to whom? To the Lord, God my Savior. Mary gives her, uh, there's a sense in which it's, it's almost a, a whole body worship, and I don't mean that in a weird way, but you look at the language. In, in that moment, Mary expressed with her body, right, she's speaking, She expresses with her body what's going on inside the very core of her being. That is her soul and her spirit. And, And you take, regardless of how you divide this up, soul, body, spirit, right? All of her is given over to worship in this moment. Mary's worship was directed to God, the one who she calls Lord or Master, and her Savior, And so in contrast to certain teaching that has been given throughout church history, Mary calls God her Savior, my Savior, indicating that she was not perfect and saw her own need for salvation from sin. In verses 46 to 47, then Mary overflows with praise and and identifies the object of her worship. And then in the rest of the passage, we see her elaborating on the reason, giving the kind of cause. This is why I'm exploding in worship. First in verses 48 to 50, we see that those who are blessed by the Lord give thanks to the Lord for his merciful work on their behalf. So picking back up in verses 48 through 50, right? Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for or because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for or because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary begins her explanation by reflecting on the work her Lord and Savior was doing in her own life. The same word that is translated, he has looked on, is used over in Luke 9.38. It's not very common, at least this particular form of the word is not very common in the New Testament, but it's used there in Luke 9.38, where a man begged Jesus to look at his demon-possessed son. This is actually just following the, the, the transfiguration. Jesus comes down from the mountain, you might remember from the story, and the disciples haven't been able to help this father who is desperate. And he says, Jesus, please look at my son. So tell me, is, is Jesus saying, is the man saying, you know, just, just set your eyes on him, and that's it? No, of course not. Jesus is saying, uh, this, this, this father is pleading with Jesus, set your eyes on him, give your attention to him, because the, this father has heard about Jesus and believes if he will do that, then that may lead to compassion and action. So Mary magnifies and rejoices in God because God has... Of all the people in the world throughout history, he set his attention on her, who she understands to be a servant of humble estate. And that's really significant. This isn't false humility. Mary's not saying, you know, oh, no, no, God, yeah, that's really kind of you. You know, lay it on a little thicker. Throughout the story of redemption, God has chosen and raised up the unexpected. Consider just a couple of examples. Abraham... Was most likely a pagan, contract, contrary to what many people may say. Uh, you go over to Joshua 24 2, and Joshua is talking, and, and the point that he's making to the Israelites is Abraham came from a family of idol worshipers. They worshiped other gods. Right? So, so there's not this great lineage that Abraham came from. How about David? Right? The eighth, the last, the youngest of Jesse's sons. Mary, a, year, a young virgin. Of humble estate, we see God, throughout redemptive history, raising up the unexpected to accomplish great things. And of course, we see that exemplified most penultimately in the person of Christ. And yet, in all of these these situations, these examples I give, God chose and used these humble stu- these humble servants. Mary doesn't claim or accept any credit for what's happened. She's not trying to uh, bring God's praise on herself. Instead, she's right. This has happened. God is blessed, but she's pointing the action back to Him and His goodness. She credits the one looking back at those verses who is mighty. He is able. He's powerful. His whose name is holy, and whose mercy is for those who fear Him. Here, Mary sets a powerful example for us of how to view the blessings with which we've been blessed, and and even to consider how sometimes the very challenges and trials that God allows or even very directly brings into our lives are the path of blessing that he desires for us. When we view these blessings as gifts of God's mercy, our natural response should be and could be like Mary's to give thanks to the giver. Verse 50 then acts as a sort of hinge, right, between Mary's focus on God's mercy that's been shown to her directly to the broader subject of his mercy. And verse 50, we see to those who fear him from generation to generation. And so we see in the final section that those who are blessed by the Lord give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness to his people and to his purposes. We read in verse 51 through the rest of the passage. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So in verses 51 to 55, Mary continues her song of thanksgiving, but now she broadens her perspective to include the larger work of salvation and redemption that God was working on behalf of all of his people. Mary's praise for God's activity. I'm not going to spend a lot of time just looking through the the words that are given here because they're fairly straightforward. But there is some debate about what activity she has in mind. So did you notice, and and I encourage you, look back at uh, at these verses, verses 51 to 55. Did you notice that Mary spoke in the past tense, which would suggest that she's referring to God's past faithfulness toward his people, and that's what she's praising or giving thanks for? Well, that's one possibility. Another possibility is that Mary was speaking generally, that the language allows for the possibility that She's praising God for the way that he acts habitually, or his pattern is to show faithfulness to his people. And that's also certainly true. Well, one more possibility that scholars bring out is that Mary is speaking in what is called the prophetic past tense. So in such situations, a speaker is so confident in a particular circumstance, a particular outcome, that they can speak of future events as though they've already happened. So all three of these alternatives that I've given here are a possibility. They would all fit with the text, but Mary seems to be looking forward. And so I think what is most likely here, what she's saying, is looking forward to what God is going to do. And yet she's filled with such confidence that he will bring these things to pass that she can speak as though they've already happened. Taking into account the angel's visit to announce the coming Messiah, that this is going to happen— and Elizabeth's encouragement that she's been blessed of the Lord because she's trusted in God. Mary boldly praises God for what he has done, even though she most likely has in mind events and activities that have not yet come to pass. Our passage then concludes with the comment that Mary remained there about three months and then returned home. As I mentioned earlier, Mary's song of praise, like all of the songs that you're going to look at, all of the songs that Luke includes in chapters 1 and 2 are embedded in narrative accounts. Luke recounts history for anyone that reads these words, but he's not recounting these stories just for the sake of recounting history. There's purpose that he's seeking to bring across. Mary's song doesn't present us with a, a list of commands or instructions that we're to follow. Unlike some of the Psalms of Thanksgiving, she doesn't invite a congregation to come in, right? Remember, it's time-bound. She's there with her, with her relative. That's what's happening here. And so, so she's not inviting us then exactly, not, not directly, to, to enter into this Thanksgiving. Nevertheless, Mary's Magnificat teaches all believers, that is, those who are blessed of the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord. That is the point. That's the takeaway. Now, I imagine as I say that, for most of you, or maybe, maybe all of you in this room, that it's like, yeah, okay, that's, you know, I've heard that before. Right? That makes sense. It's not, a, it's not a novel concept or idea. But I think it is an idea that bears repeating and reflecting on, right? Because we can get so bogged down in the circumstances of this world that we lose sight. We lose sight of what God's doing. The world in which we live is tragically broken, right? And we need to understand why. The world needs to understand why. Those of us who have been in God's word and by God's grace have had this truth revealed to us, understand the world is tragically broken because of sin. Our sin. Like, yes, Adam and Eve, they did this. But we were in them. It is our sin that has created the mess that the world is in. We were Unable in our sinful condition to fix ourselves and to make ourselves right with God. If there were any other way, understand this truth, God would not have had to send His only Son. If there were any other way. This world is full of trials and tribulations and unfavorable circumstances that we face, but the passage we've looked at this morning reminds us that the ability to give thanks does not depend on our circumstances. Into the context of our broken world, God promised and then subsequently sent forth his son to be born of a virgin. A young woman, right? A young, I mean, and you've probably heard this talked about before, but probably a teenager, right? Not even married, who would have faced social ostracism and possibly even death. But God spoke into that. And God brought Jesus into this world. Jesus, as we read in Philippians 2, embraced the role of a servant and lived the life that we were created to live. And he died the death that we deserve to die and rose again victoriously. And by doing that, Jesus conquered the enemies of sin and death and made it possible for sinners like us to be forgiven for our sins, to be justified, to be made right before a holy judge to whom everyone throughout human history will one day face but to also one step further to be reconciled into a relationship with our creator a relationship for which he created us the new testament also uses the language of adoption it's not that he just it's not that god just said okay now you're you're made right and you're good now go forth and live it's right, you're made right, now come into relationship with me, a relationship for which I created you to be a son and daughter. In the song we've looked at this morning, Mary sets an example for those who have been blessed by the Lord and how they ought to respond. Her confidence in what God was going to do, right, was going to do, enabled her to speak and praise God in such a way as though those things had already come to pass. So if Mary could praise God, knowing only what she knew then, how much more do we have reason to praise God, knowing everything that Jesus not only came to do, but that he has accomplished? And how much more should that then give us hope that God will continue to fulfill his promises? Commenting on our passage, one pastor concludes, we should praise God For keeping his promises, even before we see those promises fulfilled. That's what these women, speaking of Elizabeth and Mary, do. I don't know what, I I don't know most of you. Uh, The few that I know, we don't know each other very well. I don't know what kind of baggage you might have carried in with you this morning. Um, I don't know what hardships that you've faced this year. I know that you've all faced them. We've all faced them. We live in a very challenging time. But no matter how dark things have been and how dark things might get, Mary's song points us to the truth that the mercy and favor of the Lord is available to all who have faith in Jesus. I think as we kind of zoom out from our passage, we might conclude and say that this is the big idea, that the one who has experienced the mercy and favor of the Lord Responds with praise and thanksgiving. The one who has experienced the mercy and favor of the Lord. Well, what about the downtrodden? There there are people, I mean, I think all of us can look around and we, we could say, right, there are those who have it much worse off than we do. What about them? The very fact that God sent his son into this world to die in our place has made it possible for his mercy and favor to reach every life If you have trusted him, in him as Savior, then like Mary, we have reason to respond with praise and thanksgiving. But we can't hold on to that news for ourselves, right? I don't remember whether this comes up in the passages. And in fact, maybe it does. I think in a few weeks you'll look at what happens when the angels come and they sing a very short song. But what happens afterwards? The shepherds hear this message. Let us go and see and they go and see and then they go home right or they go back to their flocks no it says that they go and they tell they share this good news this good news of hope that has been brought to us if you're here this morning and you have experienced this mercy and favor yes our responsibility is to pray give praise and thanksgiving to God But we do it out loud, we do it publicly so that others will understand that this hope is available to them as well. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, not just for your word, we thank you for your word and that we can come to it and that your word is authoritative and that it is true. But that we're not just reading stories here this morning. Yes, we're reading a story, we're reading a poem or a song of some kind that was exclaimed, but it was truth. And because it was truth, it matters to our lives today. Father, as I've said out loud here, I don't know what everybody in this room is facing this morning. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know if they've experienced this mercy and favor. I pray if anyone is here this morning and has not realized that you have have sent mercy and favor into the world in the form of your son who lived the perfect life so that he could give himself as a sacrifice for us so that our sins could be forgiven. Lord, if they haven't realized and acknowledged that truth, would you grant them the grace of repentance? Father, help them to call on you to recognize that they can't save themselves, that we can't break ourselves from the bonds of sin, that, that these chains have already been broken or at least been. it's possible for them to be broken because of what Christ has done. So help them, grant them the favor that would help them to call on you in repentance and faith and bring them into your fold, bring them into a relationship with you. Lord, for many in this room, we, we've experienced your mercy and favor. We've We believe this truth. Father, I pray that we would walk away exactly like I think this what happened before this account was meant to do, that we would walk away encouraged. As Mary was encouraged by Elizabeth's words, Lord, help us to be encouraged by Mary's words and by her faith and by her example, and help us to go out, Lord, and like Mary, to sing a song, a song of hope, a song of redemption, a song that you have, um, a song of confidence, that you will bring to pass all that you have said you will. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.